In 2020, Mark Milligan made a statement. There is a serious problem with diversity in physical therapy. And then Mark backed it up with examples and data. Mark is a physical therapist who wants to challenge our profession by revolutionizing it through technology, empathy, connection, love, and even donuts. You can't argue with that. At CSM in Denver, Mark presented on telehealth and diversity, equity, inclusion, which are now two major topics discussed in physical therapy in the last year. You could have say he even predicted the future, but Mark has been working in these areas even before this year's events. Mark is originally from Austin, Texas, and describes the systemic barriers that exist in his community. Not only is acknowledging these barriers important, but he questions how PTs can play a role in communicating to other healthcare providers about breaking these barriers. Mark explains the power of knowing and loving yourself to create safety in conversations to decrease defensive barriers. This, a no-brainer for a top 20 episode in 2020 on PT Pinecast. us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> All right. What's up, PT Nation? Welcome to PT Pinecast, a podcast that saves physical therapists like you from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. I'm uh, Jimmy McKay, your host. We are broadcasting live from the Arias Medical Studios, also known as my bedroom. Find them at aureusmedical.com. Leaders in travel physical therapy. If you are looking to do what you want to do, which is be a great therapist somewhere in the 50 United States, uh, all different settings, they've got positions for you. So check them out, aureusmedical.com. Great uh, show for you tonight. We're doing a double shows back to back. First up, we got a great guest who's going to be talking about, well, my presentation he gave at CSM, it was so great that I had several people reach out and say, you need him to talk about this some more. So we're going to get into that, about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and kind of the science behind how he looked into his own community. So we're going to dig into that. Let's hear from you. Comment uh, below, questions below. If you're watching a live video cast via Facebook or Twitter, feel free to interact. Let us know uh, where you're at, where you uh, where you watching from. So feel free to drop in there and say hi, what up? We'll say hi back. It'll be hysterical. And then the challenge I've been doing, I've been getting these random text messages because I've literally just been giving away my phone number. And people are like, that's probably a Google number. It's not his actual number. Um, challenge me. That's my actual phone number. So if you've got something you think deserves to be on the show, uh, feel free, text me. That's my number there. It'll start dinging like crazy uh, as we did in the last uh, show. So that's pretty cool. So uh, let's get today's show uh, on the road. Our guest today, physical therapist, usually out of Austin, Texas. He's looking to revolutionize his profession through technology, empathy, connection, love, and donuts. Let's bring in Mark Milligan. There oh, the donuts. We had to get the donuts in there. Uh, yeah, I, show, man. Thank you very much, Jimmy. It's a, it's an awesome, and I appreciate being here and, and finally getting to connect with you live uh, via your show. You've been killing it. This was one thing. My my uh, my professor, my former professor, Sky Donovan from Marymount, was like, "Did you see Mark uh, Milligan's um, thing at CSM?" And I was like, "No." And she's like, "You've had him on the show before." I was like, "Yeah." And then I was like, 
Haven't I? Because I've talked a million times, and I was like, oh, shoot, I don't think I've had him on the show. So I'm glad to have you on here. Uh, first question's always the hardest. We get this out of the way first. What right. do you drink? So because I am normally in Austin, Texas, but my right. family and I have decided to physically distance on a small island in Florida for a month. Brilliant. I had to go. Thank you. Thank you. And it's amazing. I recommend it. Uh, well, I had to go with a local. This is a Key Billy, and it's a IPA with key lime juice right inside. Oh, man, going so, very local. I like yeah, that. Super hyper local, and it's a delicious, nice. I have it in a glass, nice amber, nice, nice color to it. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm drinking. So not too hard tonight. Well done. I'm going to make myself go full screen. I'm doing local too. Living in upstate New York now, Poughkeepsie, New York. This is Millhouse Brewing. I just, I like the name. Just when you want a beer, when you're just going to get some food, it's a grocery getter, Tropical IPA. Uh, doing this in our official PT pint class. Uh, so nice. cheers to you, Mark Milligan. Cheers. Uh, cheers. 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 Got a little head on that one. I don't know if you can see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got a mustache. Have a mustache. From Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification and personalized blood flow restriction, rehabilitation training, and the equipment you need to properly apply it. In clinical practice, a lot of knockoffs out there. Johnny Owens and my team, these guys are involved in the research and the uh, education and the implementation. So check them out. The number Texas guy there too, owensrecoveryscience.com. Uh, let's get Mark's socials on the screen if you want to follow along uh, on how you can find him. So check him out Instagram and Twitter there as well. You were kind of, I want to start with this. You were kind of like the CSM Nostradamus this past year. CSM, which was in February which also feels like a year and a half ago, but somehow it's only cool. several months ago. But you so, had two different presentations uh, mm -hmm. at CSM, right? Two, right? Right. Or maybe yep. more. I, I found two. One was uh, telehealth, how to leverage uh, for more than just treatment. Right. Looking like we had to adopt that just a little bit. <laughs> and few. the second one was better together in diversity, equity, and inclusion, transforming society through equitable policies Man, if you didn't pick two topics, February of 2020, that would literally be pushed to the forefront by a, a month, like less than a month later. Those were two topics, and you did presentations on both of those things in Denver. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I've got to say yes. And the, the telehealth stuff, I've been rolling for a few years. Nobody's been paying attention until four months ago. <laughs> And the DEI, that was, that was a culmination of not me. Like I just happened to be a part of a group uh, of uh, Don Magnuson and Nika and oh, I'm going to Robert and this, there was like 16 people presenting on DEI. And just because of our conversations on Twitter and on social media that I happened to just be included in that. And it, it was an, it was a pleasure and an honor to be a part of the people and the group that brought, I think we had four or five presentations over the course of two or three days to uh, to try to make an impact on DEI and, and physical therapy. So um, it was not me at, by any means. I was just a part of an amazing crew that, that brought the fire. Yeah. So uh, it was a pleasure, but you are right. Like those two topics could not be more poignant in our profession than they are right now. Yeah. yeah. So they need to be addressed. Right. You know, I love I love when people say, well, this is an overnight success. You really you, you picked up on that in February. But as you mentioned, this is these are conversations that were ha were happening, but needed to be happening more. And that's why we like when those things pop up at CSM. And you wanted totally. to. 
totally. We, I mean, I've, I, I've lectured on telehealth at AOMT, at CSM, for multiple state practices, state organizations over the course of the last few years. Um, and the DEI conversations, we've been putting those presentations together for a year. I mean, the, the, the backstory on putting together, I mean, you know, CSM presentations, they're due two months after CSM step ends, right. right? So they're due by, if, if CSM is in, you know, in, in February, like they're due, wait, when was CSM? February this year, it was kind yeah, of late. They're, they're, they're due in April or March and April. So like you have to plan the stuff out. So I think that the, the rumblings and the bubblings have been there for a long time and the voices just came together at the, at the right time to, to make it known. So, right. I, I mean, to be honest, like it's, it's a shame that it's taken this long for those type of topics to be at a national conference. Like yeah. it's, we have to step it up. Yeah. Well, that's where we want to start was, I remember I heard several people walk out of you know, part of your presentation and say, wow, uh, this is a conversation. So sometimes it's, it's not that the, that the topic hasn't been presented. It hasn't been presented either enough, right? So we would go back to like my communications background, frequency. Right. This is also exercise prescription, right? Frequency and intensity, time right. and time. So frequency, right. we talked about it a few times. It didn't land. Would you ever tell your kids to clean their room once? No, of course not. You're going to keep repeating that over and over again. So increase frequency. Until you die. It's <laughs> uh, intensity, you know, if you get someone who, who hits the right message at the right time in the right way, that's really like yeah. a good fit principle if you want to see a parallel. Um, so you really highlighted it by giving an example in your own home city yeah. of Austin, Texas. And you said, listen, I'm going to give you real practical, tactical examples of this, not just saying there's a problem out here in the country, which is kind of in the ether you really line things up in your town and giving like specific examples of like roads and railways, like things separating parts of towns. Educate us. I, I think this right. is important. So in our discovery topics for this speaking on DEI in, in uh, Denver, we, we, as a group, Nika and, and Dawn and Robert and I kind of took on different, levels and ways that that uh, like um inherent segregation and racism occurred in our cities and so in austin in the south right i grew up i was like full transparency i was born in louis i was born in texas my dad was military grew up in louisiana right spent most of my formative years in the deep deep south got to colorado by way of just needing to get out of the south and then back to texas right and so it's been kind of a journey of growing up in a deep, deep Southern ingrained way of like segment uh, segregation and racism. Right. And so getting out and going back in and seeing what it looks like and seeing what it doesn't look like, it, it, it opens your eyes. Right. Because when you're in it, you may not see it. So in this discovery process of our talk for CSM, um, I doing research on Austin, it became obvious that Austin had significant uh, a significant past in segregation and systemic oppression and divisive and and inherently racist policy. And so I wanted to bring that to the topic because I think so many people came up to me after this topic at CSM and said, look, I looked in, I'm doing this research in my city. I'm, I'm looking at where I live and seeing the same thing. And so I looked into redlining, which is a, a in the early, in that term, originally was about uh, loans for home and mortgages, right? It was redlining. They would put districts around highly, 
I guess, highly risky areas that were, were racially diverse. And so the loans would not be made to those racially diverse areas. So if it was a red line district, you were less likely or impossible to get funded in a, in a home equity loan or some type of loan for property. So looking back at Austin, I was like, you know what, this is clear that these districts are still present. Like living there, and, and I ride my bike a ton, I ride my bike all around Austin. And so seeing and riding through neighborhoods, you notice differences where sidewalks are, where safe uh, bike paths are, where you know yeah. those things are, or they're not. And so looking, I just it really struck home, like, what does it look like today? Because of these policies that were put in place since the 1800s around slavery, and what, how does it look like today? And so I, 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 there was a great paper, and I can, we can send this out to the listeners, we can link to it, that looked at the redlining districts and then looked at income and looked at population kind of uh, diversity over time in Austin. And it became very obvious that these redlined districts were still an issue, both financially and, and access not only to healthcare, but to grocery stores, physical therapy, and other, you know, just normal things that other people in other races and other in, uh, economic um, echelons don't think about, right? Yeah. And the so thing, the things that you're talking about, Mark, I just want to sum up where they're, they're, they're in plain sight, right? They're hiding in plain sight. So they're very obvious if you know what you're looking at and you did, but they're yeah. also rooted because you're saying these policies have been in place for so long and they're right there. And a lot of us are looking right at it and we just say, it's even, everything's equal, it's equitable, but it's not. It's not. And the policies, <clears throat> I can't stress enough for people and PTs in their communities to look back at policies that were drawn and written early on. Look at economic diversity and racial diversity within your communities and look where the lines are drawn, right? In Louisiana, in Louisiana, in a lot of the South, it was railroad tracks that made the difference between neighborhoods and equity. It's, it's cliche, right? The other side of the tracks. I mean, I know it's literally a cliche. I never knew what it meant. It was just something we said. It's so painful, but it's true. And in Austin, it was I thirty-five, the major interstate, divided between where the where the policies made for very inhabitable and uninhabitable and not very nice situations to the nice situation right and the 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 wet the east side of i-35 that was the red line district the west side was not the east side was where policies were drawn and the crazy thing is is that it was written by like 12 or 13 people in the in the early 18 late 1800s early 1900s into the mid 1900s like 12 or 13 people were deciding the fate of tens of thousands of people because of their own racial issues right and so when you look at how it brought forward you can look at the map and look at population density you can look at uh the the, the population um race and 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 all of the demographics and it just continues through generation or decade after decade and then you overlay maps, which I did for CSM, of grocery stores, right? There's like, I mean, Austin started, Whole Foods started in Austin, right? Whole Foods would be considered, you know, other people call it whole paycheck. But like, <laughs> it, I mean, it is what it is. But like, there's four or five Whole Foods on the west side of I-35. There's zero on the east side, right? There's one grocery store that's major that has a, has a ethnic name on the east side of Austin. 
There's a few gyms, right? There's zero PT clinics, right? And so like as it pulls forward, the repercussions of the decision-making and the policy and, 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 and all of the choices come forward to generation after generation, right? And on the east side, there's less sidewalks. There's less streetlights. It's less safe. Like you're more likely to die on the east side of Austin. Right. The life expectancy changes. And I think that was one of the things that brought it home. Less than a half a mile apart, you can have a 10-year difference in life expectancy. Wow. In one city. I mean, you talk about... You talk about streetlights and sidewalks. You talk about food. You highlight food. And we've had this conversation before, which is, I feel like I learned the, the term food desert in yes. PT school. And I had no idea what the heck that was. I never really grew up in an area where there weren't supermarkets within five, 10 minutes. And then Patrick Berner, who's a registered dietitian and a physical therapist, yeah. brought on food swamp. And I was like, what's a food swamp? He's like, well, so that means like you have outlets to get food but that food is at lower cost. It's typically like a convenience store or a gas station. So yes, you're eating, but what's that going to do to your quality of life? What's that going to do to your healthcare costs over time and your safety and your, and your life expectancy? All those totally. things go down. Totally. I think one of the most telling things, and I saw the statistic a few years ago, is the, you know, when, when people, when they put the calories on food menus, right? What was that, like five years ago, six years ago? Yeah. Everybody thought that people were going to make better decisions. Right, they're going to look at the menu and say, "Oh, wow, that has that many calories. I'm going to buy this." Right. Right. There was actually one study that demonstrated that the exact opposite occurred in lower SES, uh, uh, lower socioeconomic uh, communities, where they needed and they knew they needed to buy the most calories for the least amount of money. Wow. Because they needed to feed their family, right? And I think if you look, I don't. Uh, this can quote me if I'd like, please fact check me on this, but I think that the most calories per dollar in this country, in the world, are a, McDon a McDonald's McDouble cheeseburger on their menu for a dollar. It's like 390 calories for one dollar. You cannot get, you can't get more calories than any other food source than that one burger, right? right? And so families were ordering the most amount of calories for the least amount of money so they could feed their family. Yeah. Right. So you so you looked into this in in your community in Austin, Texas, and you realize that these systemic barriers exist. And the second part of the graphic on the screen really highlights it, even if you don't think so. Right. right. So we're talking about this a lot, which is like I understand if you don't believe in a virus, science doesn't care. That's very relevant. I don't care if you don't believe in science. Science happens regardless. Right. So this is like you know parallel to this. Systemic barriers exist even if you don't think so. And you're highlighting those examples all around town. Um, any other that come to mind from your talk or any of that you heard from other people after people heard your message? So I think there was one PhD student from Baltimore who was doing research in Baltimore. I think there was another student from Oklahoma City who had mentioned that he was looking into this in his city. Like, I think that, I mean, your point, systemic barriers exist, even if you don't think so. I think that speaks more to the blinders that we have on as professionals. Sure. Right? Like I think that we we really need to communicate to providers in a way that they understand that these things exist and it's it's not so <laughs> this is a tricky topic, right? Because right. if you try to communicate to somebody that something exists that they don't want to acknowledge, it's probably because they feel guilty about it and they don't sure. want to see it. Right? So how do you as a provider who may be white, who may be affluent, who may not have issues, 
that you know about, how do you acknowledge them without, well, first of all, just how do you acknowledge them without feeling guilty, right? Because a lot of people, when you tell them or ask them and say, look, this is happening, you have to see it and admit it. There's, there's a part of that person that feels guilty about it, Sure, right? And I, I think that that's one of the biggest barriers we have to get over is that, right? Like if you didn't know about something or if something is occurring and then it's brought to your attention, you, you shouldn't get defensive about it. Right. And that is typically right? what you see right away is, well, I didn't do this. This didn't right. help me. It's not my problem. The first one that I saw really was privilege, which it, as a communications marketing guy, I'm not, I would have just switched the name, right? Because you, you mentioned right. you're a cyclist, I'm a cyclist. And I heard this was someone else's analogy, which put it really good perspective. I walked away, I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. It's not saying that you as a, as a white person or someone who is economically advantaged, you didn't have, you didn't have wind at your back. That's not what we're saying. What right. we're saying is you didn't have wind in your face. That's all we're right. saying, right? That's it. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, I can picture what it's like to ride with wind in my face and wind in my back and no wind. And I understand now what you're saying. Totally. And then I would also further that, that you started halfway through the ride. <laughs> right. Yes. Also valid. Where'd you start? Right. Right. Exactly. So you may, ha both parties may have wind in their face, but you started 60 miles ahead. Right. Right. And I think that is where privilege comes in, right? And so understanding the fact that even if, yeah, it's it's hard to put in, there's so many, I, I love some of the videos that are out there on perspective. Like there's one video of a person who's doing a, uh, they're doing a, ru a running race, right? Like a hundred yard dash. And then he's like, you know, everybody starts on the same line. And then he's like, you know, if everybody had two parents in the home, take a step forward or take 10 steps forward. You know, if every, whoever had, you know, um, you know, food on the table every night, take two steps forward. You know, he, he puts it in a place where it allows you to understand that it's not your fault for having advantage, right? But it is something that you have to acknowledge where other people don't. And that's where the chasm is. That's where we have to step in and say, look, we need to, we need to get people on the same starting line Right. With the same bike, the same pair of shoes, same wind, same wind. And let's ride together because that's people aren't riding together. Right. right? Let's we can do cycling analogies all day. People are not riding together. There's people that are in the lead group and there's people that are in the back group. Sure. And that's not and that's not OK in, on any level. And that's especially not. when it comes to PT. Right. And oh, Jimmy, like there's. If this this has such implications not only for us as a profession, but also as practitioners and our patients, right? Because our like we have biases that show up, right? We have, I mean, all of the programming that we have from our parents, our grandparents, right? Like because how we are raised and the information and the and the knowledge that we're given to kind of shape our beliefs as adults. Sure, right? We can agree on that, right? And so like how you are programmed and what you see show up in patient care, right? And, and those biases, that racism, that sexism, all of that shows up in your professional life. And I'm really, one of the biggest messages I'm trying to put out there is that PTs need to recognize their own biases. They need right. to do a deep dive into what they do. And one of my favorite examples, I mean, you treated in the clinic, right? We all did. We all do. We all did. Like when somebody comes in, 
and you have that favorite patient. You have that patient's like, oh, I can't wait till you know Jimmy comes in on Monday, dude. He's also I love. He's on my schedule. We're going to talk about cycling. He's dope, right? He's got a badass podcast. Like he's he's awesome, right? And then we also have the patient, and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, I can't believe it's like Frank is coming in. He's so frustrating. He's not like all he does is talk about this stuff. He's so, and like we think those things, but what does it look like in clinical practice? You're going to get a lot more. T- let's say you both show up at the same time. Right. <laughs> Who's going to get attention? Is it Jimmy? Who's awesome? Who has topics that I want to talk about and engage in? Or is it Frank? you were going to get a better level of care. Right. Like how that happens across person, race, creed, color. Like that we have to acknowledge that we, even though we may not see it or we may have our own blinders on, we treat people differently in the clinic. Yeah. And after a decade in the clinic, I've seen it. And I see the bias, uh, the blinders that providers put on like, Oh, I didn't, I don't, I, I treat everybody the same. I challenge people to really question whether or not they treat everybody. So that goes into the second part, even if you don't think so. So I guess like, you know, what do they say? You you can't fix a problem unless you first identify and actually admit I have a problem. And that's, I think a lot of people are doing that. I I hope they are. I know I've been doing that over the last few months, either, you know, on this show, we're trying to make a concerted effort to say like, Hey, maybe we're, Maybe we're just as guilty of this as anybody else. And we have a large stage. So that makes it worse if we're multiplying the problem. And I think a lot of people that I know, myself included, are having pretty difficult conversations with people around us. And even not remaining silent sometimes is, all right, I'm going to be the person to bring this up or I'm going to call this out and trying to do that carefully, but also make sure you don't gloss over or just skip it and say, I know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say a few things that you might not agree with, but me not saying them is worse. Yeah. Complicity is guilty is guilt, right? Like you have to have, and this is when we have to bring in our own emotional status and our own comfort level, right? Like Lisa, Van Hoos, like you do know Lisa, like she needs to be a guest on, if she hasn't been on here, she needs to be a guest five times. Um, like you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's, and that goes back to my original statement. It doesn't make you guilty, right? People couple uncomfortable and confrontational conversations with guilt. It's, it's coupled from childhood because that's often how we're raised, sure. right? When you do something wrong, you're guilty. You're, there should be guilt. There's punishment, punishment. right? And we've got to flip and get out of that mindset and understand that the conversation between two people doesn't, there doesn't have to be a guilty party. Right. right? There doesn't have to be, but there needs to be an understanding and a communication right. where both people can be heard and offer information without getting defensive and feeling guilty. And like, that's a, one of the biggest barriers I see in PT. This goes back to a conversation I have my my buddy who's a doctor of clinical psychology on the show every once in a while. And he actually, we went over shame versus guilt, which are two words that I'm like, well, they're the same. And he's like, well, no, I'm going to show you they're not. So I think a lot of times it's not even guilt. I feel like a lot of times it's shame. And the difference there that Jamie made me repeat several times, because he's like, I want you to know the difference of these. Shame is I'm a bad person. Guilt is I did something wrong and I feel guilty about it. 
Shame is like, I am a bad person. So I feel like some people are feeling shame and that's deeper rooted and they're going and they reject anything you're going to say. You've done this and they're going to go, I feel ashamed. And I, then I reject it because you're saying I am a bad person at, or I'm feeling that what you're saying is I'm a bad person at the core when the person might actually just be saying, hey, you might be doing something even if you don't think so. You might be doing it not bad on you, but you should recognize it or, tr- or at least right. be introspective. Yeah. Shame, I think, is one of the fundamental like shadow feelings and emotions that people purposefully or unintentionally tag into in conversations like this. It's very steep. Because we yeah, because shame means you're not a part of the group. Shame means you're ostracized. Shame means that you have willfully done something wrong. Yeah. Right. Like there's a deep shame. Like shame is shame and blame are two like of the biggest things that we can look at. And as a parent of an eight and a half year old, that that type of dynamic comes into play all the time, right? Like how do you communicate to a child? Because most of the emotions that we deal with are born of our childhood. And still, and, and yes, it does. Still, right? Yeah. yeah. Like intergenerational trauma, like how it carries through from us into our relationship. And I consider... It's interesting when you look at relationship, some of the best reading and some of the best information I've gotten about myself and how I communicate is about relationships, right? And relationship doesn't have to mean intimate. Every communication, every friendship is a relationship. And so there's a fundamental, people say, oh, you're reading, this isn't a relationship, right? There's a, we've, we've skewed the information from every interpersonal communication we have as a relationship, right? And so... I think that we need to look at how we couple in relationship, whether professionally or intimately, and see how that plays out. And I think the guilt and the shame play into that. And it's a part of how we communicate interpersonally as professionals and with patients. So I think it's a beautiful thing for us to differentiate between guilt and shame and understand that you don't you don't have to be responsible for other people's thoughts about you, but you do have to be responsible for your thoughts about yourself and what comes out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the only, I talk about in my talks, there's two things that you control. One's your sphere of control, right? You only have, your sphere of control is you. What goes, what comes in and what comes out. Right. That's it. That's right. the only literal thing in this planet we have control over. Everything else is a circle of control, right? Like a locus. Like we have to, we have to understand that other people's emotions, other people's information, that's them. And so hopefully you engage in a way that allows that interaction to be peaceable and to be safe. Because as soon as safety, safety is another big word, when safety's off the table, when you don't feel safe in the conversation, then you get defensive, right? Then you go into the protective mode, sure. defensive mode. And then, and you're then not, you shut down. You're not listening, yeah, you're, you're defending. You're in your animal brain. You're in your lizard brain, right? You're in your yeah. amygdala. You, you can't you can't process. So like understanding the human brain and how it works and how like most people I engage with when it comes to topics that are really sensitive, you, you have to know you can't change a lot of thought or a lot of belief, right? As an outsider, like I always go back to a, a conversation I was having with somebody that was in a family circle, not directly family, but close family. And they were very, they had very opinionated views. And I tried to knock them out 
I tried to knock out the views first. I tried to get them to like, what the F are you thinking? And then like that didn't work because <laughs> then they become more robust in their dissension. And then you had, then I went to a, you know what? That's cool. You can be you. I'll be me. And then I went to a like, you know what? That's awesome. I, you know, I appreciate that you feel that way. You know, here's another, here's some more information that you may want to right. know about. And it wasn't until that final like embrace of them as a person, but still offering them information that there was any kind of resolution. Yeah. Right? Like you have to, you have to like it's see a long someone. Play. Yeah, it's a long play, but also I think Lisa Van who does this beautifully. She like, on Twitter, you can follow her on Twitter, but on in, in conversation, she embraces the, even the most vehemently opposed person with love. Right? She's just like, you know what? She always gives the benefit of the doubt. I mean, she does get pissed, but like, she's like, you know what? I love that person. Let's see if I can just educate them around it. That is a skill. Like, that's, a, that's a skill, totally. It's a learned skill. Very learned skill. But it also shows her shows the depth of love that she has for herself and the love and the when you love yourself ultimately you don't have any defensiveness. Yeah, that makes sense. Like when you don't have any when you don't have any bearing on someone when your self worth and your love for yourself has no bearing on someone else's acceptance of you, then you can communicate on a level. And if we could teach that in, in you know kindergarten or elementary school, we'd have a you know we have a great society because I mean. That's the root of a lot of issues, right? Is insecurity, and when you're not trying to win the conversation, which, by the way, I don't, I'm I'm not sure I've ever won a conversation in my life. That's not that's not what a conversation is. A conversation is supposed to be a relationship of information between two people. Right. You can't win a a, a relationship of information between people. There's no win. There's no scoreboard. It's that you can't win a conversation. Right. But we all like to feel safe. Sure. And safety is the key to, to winning a conversation. Right. When you feel like you've been heard, and you can take this to personal or professional, whenever you don't feel heard and feel like you have a valid piece of information, you don't feel safe and you sure. don't feel like you've won, right? Sure. As soon, and I challenge everybody listening to this, and you have a conversation, try to just accept and love the person across from you and just say, okay, I hear you and see what happens. Right? The defensiveness comes down yep. they, because they feel safe. They don't have to defend themselves anymore. And then and you don't have to defend yourself. You can, you can then engage. Opportunity for someone to learn what you're actually trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie yeah. uh, Pagliano chiming in uh, about yeah. uh, being uncomfortable, really just saying it's more important now than ever to be uncomfortable. That is where the change is coming from. She's saying she loves Lisa. We got to get her on the show. I reached out a while ago. We'll see if we can get her in. Oh, and yeah. Then, um, yeah, Scott, go ahead. Sky Donovan saying it's very. This is very important for us to cover in their curricula. Best ways to approach it. Where do you put this? A lot of different places, I'm guessing. <clears throat> kind of salt bay it all over. Yeah. So I, you know, doing my own. <laughs> this dives in a lot of personal stuff for me. So like, I went hard and heavy through PT school. Right, aggressive. I was super aggressive. I was going to save people, fix people, get them ready. Right in the residency, right in the board, right in the fellowship. Like I just hammered down, right? Like right. I didn't stop. And it's not until I burned out that I really realized uh, the the path was not about other people. It's about me and like what I need fulfilled in me. And so, right. if we look at PTs as a whole, we're very giving, altruistic, um, altruistic. I would call it a 
actively attached person from the attachment standpoint, right? And, and, and like relationship communication and that we need to be, we need to move away from that, right? Like this, having people discover, because most of the PTs graduating now go, you know, grade school straight through. Yeah. 20, you can graduate as a PT at 21, 22, younger, if they were aggressive. And like, I sit here as a 44-year-old man saying that I had no idea who I was as a 21-year-old. And I can honestly say that. And some kids, some people have it figured out. Some people know who they are. But I think that early discovery and, and self-work may be a place in PT curriculum, right? Like we, you need to look at, you know, what type of family you had, your family of origin. What did that look like? Like, what does that mean to you? Because I, as someone who had, and this is going to get really personal, as someone who had, you know, a dad who was bipolar, who's passed away and a mom who was trying to help him, right? Like I learned how to be a helper. I learned how to be a fixer. I like, that's how I show, got my love. And that's how I got, you know, my um, love for my family was like just kind of shape shifting and doing what I needed to do to do that. Sure. And that bled into patient care, right? I'll do anything for a patient. You want me to show up early? I'll show up early. You want me to do that? Like it shows up differently in your job than it does in relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you want to feel valued. And the only way, unless you understand and know wholeheartedly that you are your own value, someone else will prey on that value. And business is like that. What's wrong? Something behind you? I just heard. (laughs) Who's it? But like that, I think that's a big deal is because if you don't understand what motivates you and what makes you and feel and keeps you safe, that internal love for yourself, your that external looking for love manifests itself in doing whatever you need to do for your job without any in sacrificing yourself. Right? It's it's. I think that there's a tremendous opportunity in PT school for self discovery, for looking into who you are as an individual, what motivates you, early on in the curriculum. And I, it's scary because that's some deep stuff. And like, oh no, that's that's not easy. And you know, I was a second grade student, you know, doing it, and even I was finding some stuff out about myself that I thought I had locked up. You know, I was I'm good at this, and I'm I'm, I'm good when there's a lot going on, and all of a sudden. You know, I'd have people going, why are these kids over here, you know, getting all emotional? I'm like, I'm 10 years older than them. I'm super emotional right now. I don't know what's going on with me. Um, totally. So so where would you recommend it? Like this really, I mean, is this is this bringing in a mental health component more into PT curriculum, you know, in, in that way? Would that be a good example or, you know, one example of how to do it? I think honestly that there there's readings, like there's books that give you basic information, right? Like not every PT is a psychology minor, Mm-mm. right? Like, and so I think that there's information that can be given through readings about self-discovery, right? I think that that's an easy thing to do and right. like blend it into the part of the curriculum that looks at, um, I think it, it's University of Colorado. We had some professional and self-development courses. I think that would be a really good place to put that and also offer mental health providers if they need it. Right. Like, I think that that, I mean, they, we pay enough intuition that, yeah. or there's also apps, but I think there could be a great partnership where people yeah. can have available. I, there's probably counselors on campuses, right. That could be provided. But I think that there needs to be some type of 
introspective look at who you are as a person and where you come from in your development over time in order for you to understand yourself as who you're going to be as a professional, as a provider. Right. It's going to come out, right? Like how you, and it, oh, my puppy's barking at us. Sorry, but if we, you, I might have to let him in, but um, it's, it's one of those things where if we, if we understand who we are, then we can not only treat patients better, but also keep ourselves safe when it comes to burnout. Like, I think this is a fundamental burnout issue, right? Is not understanding who you are and you're, you give yourself too much. We all have the ability. We all, most PTs don't have any business background, right? And we all assume a certain pay grade and all of the stuff, like all the self-worth or, or we're scared to ask for a raise because we don't have good, high enough self-worth, right? Like salary negotiation sure. is, a, is a big part of this, right? Where you, if you don't feel comfortable saying, you know what, this is what I'm worth. This is the hours I'll put in. This is the net, you know, this is the income. Like people, some people don't have the, the, the self-worth to say, they just say, okay, whatever you want to give me. And then they go home and they feel, uh, you know, they feel uh, slighted. They, they're not heard. They're not respected. Right. And then it eats at them. Then it eats at them. Right. Then it spirals. Then, then as opposed to being there for the job and feeling valued, like you have to feel financially valued in order for you. But people, but mo- a lot of PTs are like, oh, I'm okay. I don't want to ask for more. They're not going to hire yeah. me. Yeah. I was told, um, I was told pay people enough that money's off the table. Pay right. people well enough and treat them well enough that they're like, I just like it. You know what? I don't even, I, I feel like I'm paid enough. I got it. Everything's taken care of. I've right. loved it here. I never want to leave. And those people right. will never leave and they will outperform for you left and right. But right. a lot of times we try to nickel and dime, but the reverse is we don't nickel and dime for ourselves. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. That is true. And, and honestly, it's like when it comes and you know, it's interesting to think about scarcity mindset at this point and like what, employers are looking at and and what other people are looking at like you know if i pay that person one dollar more per hour like i i won't make as much money right like it's also looking at it kind of maybe asking pertinent questions to the employer about like what does it mean to you what what do raises look like what do finances look like you know what is what does money look like to you as a as a provide as, as a as an employer right sure. nobody really asked that question like, do you have a scarcity or, or a surplus mindset as an employer, right? Yeah. Like, I, because those are real. And, and like, you are totally right. Like, you, you need to, employees need to be paid enough that they don't have to worry about paying bills. And they'll outperform for you if they do that. Because when they're not, I mean, I feel like a lot of this is about, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, we started with, um, you know, city planet and city, city right. you know, in, embedded racism and, uh, uh, and segregation, a lot of this is why it's based on fear. I needed to right. make sure that a certain part of the population couldn't overtake me. Right. So I built in these things that would make sure that that didn't happen. And they're embedded in plain sight, um, in law, in uh, in geography. Yep. Um, and now we're saying also, let's pay attention to the psychology of the individual coming in because that's going to keep going forward unless we pay attention to it. Well, I mean, I think that you can take that psychology and apply it on a lot of levels to PT and DEI, right? Like if you look at the population in in your area, the, the population of therapists don't match it. Right. 
Well, you're saying there were no clinics on the east side of Austin, Texas? Right. Man, those people... I, are, partner, I guess they don't need PT, right? Right. On, on a, they, they actually consider... I went to a, a city meeting. One of my colleagues, Maram, is on... She's a she's on the city... Um, on the Public Health Commission, and they consider it a healthcare desert. You can literally hit a golf ball to Dell Medical Center, one of the premier medical centers in the country. And on that side of the I-35, it's a healthcare desert, right? And so the fear and the scarcity apply across all genres of uh, everything we talked about, right? So it's it's not only access to healthcare, but it's the diversity we see in our PT programs, right? It's the diversity that we see as PT pr practitioners. Our diversity as a profession doesn't match the diversity of the community. Oh, we went back in, in, in a recent survey that I saw. We went backwards. Right. And that's because PT isn't getting – kids aren't being exposed to PT because of systemic barriers as children. Right? Most PTs become a PT because they went to PT. Or they knew right? a PT or they saw right. a PT in school. And if you're that's not doing any of those three things, you ain't showing up. Totally, and when PTs are cut from budgets at, at on 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 a fundament on a school level, or when a, a, another program or family can't afford a seventy dollar copay to see a PT, or if like in in Austin, there's um, there's MAP. It's the it, it's a medically assistance program in in Texas and around Austin. Um, they had a seven month wait for physical therapy. This guy had a cute onset. I had a nonprofit with the East Side on uh, YMCA on Austin, uh, and and for a, a while. And like this one gentleman, he's like, oh, "Yeah, I had a seven month wait to see a PT for acute low back pain." Right. So there's not access to physical therapy for people on any realm that need it, and so they don't see it. So that's another way that systemically people aren't exposed to physical therapy. And so how can a kid want to be a PT and never see a PT? Right. Never. And then and then, I mean, you can talk to uh, so many people about the systemic, you know, application process and and loan approval process for PT school, because we know that, you know, one hundred and seventy thousand dollar loan for PT school is not not everybody can qualify for that. Yeah. So Getting, how, how, on, on Twitter, looking at, you know, med Twitter, as they call it, hashtag med Twitter, they're saying like, hey, man, you, you know, what the uh, and this is going towards physicians, you know, what, like application fees and everything's got to be an in-person um uh interview so you interview. Got hotels and you got to do 10 of these to maybe get into med school how many people can afford to apply maybe the smartest right. person you know you might be the best applicant but you can't afford to get to the starting line there you got no bike you got no chance right right and like i you know, I remember specifically interviewing for PT schools, right? I flew, I was in Colorado. I hadn't gotten into Colorado, but I flew to Atlanta. I flew to, where else did I go? Like three other places I flew to to do my interview. To, uh, to uh, what's the, just north of Chicago. It's uh, Rosalind Franklin. So I flew to Chicago yeah. for an interview. I flew to um, Georgia. I flew, you know, it's like two grand. Can, grand? Who's easily. popping three grand? You know, maybe, hey, I'm going to pay you three grand so I can maybe pay 150. Right. Who could right. afford that? Who could afford that lottery ticket? Right, totally. Uh, and not only that, but most PT new grads are not making 150, right? No, like no. that's that's the kicker. No, unfortunately. It, uh, Sky's calling Yoda, by the way. Well, a PTS. <laughs> uh, 
focus on this because before we let the audience go, we have the power yeah. to change, we have the power to change them, and by them, it's systemic barriers, even if you don't think they exist. Um, what can someone do today, tomorrow, this week in their own community? Small steps that can lead to big steps that you would tell people to do. PTs specifically. Yeah, I think I think there's a few things. One, you just need to be first. You need to wake up and understand that this is real, and it's not your fault, and that you're safe, right? Like I think if you can, and then you need to reach out to colleagues who may not look like you and ask them if they're okay and how can you help and let them know that they are safe, right? And then you can look at your community and ask what I can do and if you are okay and let them know that they are safe, right? Like there's, it's a simple solution. You just have to take it from you and extrapolate it to more people. Yeah. Right? Like, and I was thinking about, I was on a walk this morning and thinking about one of the biggest messages, like what I'd want to send home for people today on this talking with you. And it's really, I think that we all have power to change things. It's just how you do it. And like, if you make the choice to, to make the change, right? Like sure. it's diversify your applicant pool. If you're hiring for a PT position, right? It's, it's making sure that your forms at your clinic have all of the LGBTQ inclusion on your intake form, right? It's, it's about how you make sure that everyone is inclusive in your practice and beyond that. And so like, that's, it's, it's hard to say, Jimmy, it's like, it's one of those things where you, you know how to change it, but how, telling someone how to do it is really challenging. Sure. Right. But I think the biggest things are understanding that you are not, you are not at fault. You're not to blame, but it is your responsibility to reach out and understand that you're a part of the change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In terms of innovation, uh, I like to quote this a lot was you, you can't solve a people problem with a technology solution. You're not going to solve a people problem with legislative solutions, right? Yeah. This, this is a this is a person problem, and it needs to be solved person to per, person to person to person to person to person to person. Right, and it, as as it's person to person, it gets bigger and bigger. Right, and then you know, you have to be the example. Right, you have to every engagement that you have has to be the example that you want to set in the world because other people aren't going. Well, they may do it, but they're going to learn from you. Right, right. Like it, it's okay to understand that other that other people you may not automatically have the most elegant eloquent solution for all of healthcare's issues but you can start with the problem that you see in front of you and how to address much it. the only thing that you can control and you mentioned that the only thing you can control right. is what goes in and what comes out and what you do in your sphere and and what you do with it well said yeah. um yeah. i need you to look right into the camera mark right into the camera and say hi my name is mark milligan and you're listening to pt pinecast hi my name is mark milligan and you're listening to pt pinecast yeah. Nailed it. That was very, very good. All right. You ready to play three questions? Sure. I don't know what those are. Yeah, I guess. One way to find out. Let's do three questions right now. Let's All do right. that. Sure. All 
our three questions brought to you by our friends at Arius Medical Staffing. Uh, jobs across uh, the, the country. Yeah. People's ears perk up because we just graduated another class. You want to do what you've been studying for a long time. You want to do it where you want to do it in terms of geography, setting, patient population. Arius has the uh, the opportunities. A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. Uh, see what opportunities there. You can also travel with a travel buddy. Give another PT friend, a nurse friend, a PTA. They'll try to find contracts in the same area. So travel with a buddy. Like buddy, buddy program. You remember that? A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. That is A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. All right, three questions. First question is a where question. Where in the 50 U.S. states? I mean, you literally like you were like, I'm going to escape to Florida during a pandemic. Smart. Island in Florida, I might add. Um, yes. But if you were to go anywhere in the U.S. Uh, for three months, where would you want to go? Oh, that's that's such a tough question. It is. It's not easy. Well, because I, you know, I went to school in Colorado, so I love the mountains, love the ocean. So it'd have to probably be Hawaii. Yeah, because I got mountain boat. Exactly. Unfair. Uh, second question is a what question? What's something you've read, watched, downloaded? So like book, movie, podcast that you think the audience can get is uh, get some value from? Um. You know, I just read The Alchemist. Okay, I've heard of that. I don't know what it's about, though. It's a great book. You should read it. I will do that. It's on our list. There um, you go. All right. The Alchemist. The yeah. Alchemist. Uh, third question. It's it's got to begin and end with people. Third question is about who who's the audience who's someone the audience should know more about. Yeah, Lisa Van Who's for sure. Kai Kennedy for sure. Mika. Oh shit! What's Mika's last name? I can't Mitchell. remember. Mitchell, for sure. The audience is uh, about. Nine. Oh, she's coming on next. Yeah, me, yeah, Mika Mitchell coming up next, for sure. Good um, and then I think more people should know about themselves. Ooh, I like that. That'll lead us to our parting shot. That was very good. I like that ourselves. Let's do our yeah. parting shot right now. What's the parting shot? Of? Very intense graphic. There. Very intense graphic. Uh, parting shot brought to you by our friends at the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, orthopt.org. We're actually uh, we're talking to Chris Hughes tomorrow from the oh, Academy cool. of Orthopedic PT. We're going to do another contest. They've got all these uh, you know uh, courses that you can take online to up your orthopedic game, and we're going to give we're going to give one of these away. We, I'm what? not sure we're supposed to say that yet. We're supposed to, we're going to reveal that tomorrow. Pretend I didn't say that. We're going to give us something away, but I'm not going to tell you how you can get it till tomorrow. Uh, but if you're going to level up your game from uh, in orthopedics, why not do it with the Academy of Orthopedic PT? I don't. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. Uh, check them out online at orthopt.org. Uh, parting shot, Mark. Your last chance for kind of a mic drop moment. I mean, you kind of had one there a second ago in terms of like who someone should get to know themselves. What else would you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, uh, you know, I. Jimmy, I appreciate you having me on the show. Like, I really do feel that you are transformative for our profession um, and will have lasting ripples in, in not only professional development, but also patient care, right? Because that's what it boils down to. And I think that if anything that I could leave people with is that understanding that we're all human, we're all here together, um, be patient, be loving, be kind but also know that above all, 
like love will solve things, right? If you just truly love yourself, if you truly love the person sitting in front of you, if you think about who you want to engage with and how you want to engage with the world, just choose love. Wow. You are like the PT Yoda. I like that very much. Thoughtful. Uh, Mark, yeah. let's, let's do this again soon. Uh, I'll have you yeah. back on the show. Uh, we'll, we'll get more key lime uh, beers in the, uh, in the system, whatever those things are. I like those. Key Billy. Key Billy. Key Billy. Uh, appreciate you coming on here. Appreciate you yeah, doing sure. that, that talk on, uh, on CSM about an important topic. But I think the most important thing is we can't stop talking about it. You know, it was something that you had had keyed on and a lot of people had keyed on in terms of having having a conversation on a big stage like CSM. Can't take your foot off the gas pedal now. So, uh, Mark Milligan, thanks so much for coming on to the show. And we'll talk again soon. Okay. Okay. Love you. Be safe and take care. Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right. Show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management, Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pinecast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.